In this episode, we talk about CAC, customer acquisition costs, and how a startup can decide how much is too much to spend on acquisition. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Dude, tragedy. Tragedy is up this week. Tragedy. Figma. Did you follow the news today? No, I have no idea what, what I don't, what Figma happened? Figma has been acquired by Adobe, which there's lots of takes online about it. And like, would you take the $20 billion and this and that, but set all that aside, Adobe is literally my least favorite company on the planet. You can go back and check my Twitter history. I have this on record that there is no company in the, on the whole planet that I hate more than Adobe. And Figma is one of my absolute favorite companies. And Adobe already did this to me. My previous favorite company way back in the day used to be Macromedia. And Adobe bought them and just ruined everything they made. And now I'm worried Figma's going to get ruined. Doesn't Adobe have a competitive product already to them? Yes. Adobe XD or whatever it's called. Apparently it's pretty crappy. I don't know. Well, um, so uh, are you going to switch products? Are you going to are you going to give them a shot? Or no, I'm not. Uh, listen, I I think it's totally fine to complain about stuff and then also acknowledge that we live in a system and you have to play the game a little bit. Like Figma is still the best product. I think it will get ruined. That will probably be five years from now. I'll keep using it until then, and I don't know what the <laughs> alternative is. Someone will step in and be the new Figma by then for sure. I hope so, but I mean, Figma was this weird unicorn where it's so rare. Like for, before Figma came out, I was like. No one's ever going to compete with Adobe. They have such a monopoly. It's such complicated software. It's not like making a project management tool or you know some CRUD app. It's like really, really sophisticated tool. I think it, it was a once in a lifetime thing that something like Figma came along and just absolutely ate Adobe's lunch. But I, I, I'm not confident it's going to happen again. So I'm bummed. Well, so you don't think so that, that tells me that Adobe can't ruin it that bad for you. Well, no, it tells it tells me that they're they have a horrible monopoly and they're going to abuse their oh. power and make it impossible for anyone to compete with them. Mm. That's a bummer. Yeah. I mean, 20 billion dollars is a lot of money, but I was just it wish it funded. Was it a venture capital fund? No, no, was... they they raised a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I have a tweet from like 4 years ago that's like after Figma's most recent raise, they're obviously going to get acquired by Adobe because that's the only outcome here. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, they raised three hundred thirty million dollars according to Crunchbase. Yeah, I I just hate that. Like, like once you do that, you can't long term be a good company. Um, mm. You know, briefly you can, but eventually, you know, eventually the investors want their money back. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I like bootstrapping. Anyway, yeah. how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I was on I was on vacation uh, last week. Well. It's kind of a vacation. Did I tell you that I was going to Cancun? Yeah, with yeah, with just you and Sable, no, yeah. no kid, no kid. But it was, it was also with Lucid's uh, executive team and Presidents Club, like oh, okay. so top Not sellers. Not just and, you and Sable. Okay. So it wasn't exactly <laughs> a vacation, but it was fun to catch up with people. Um, the new CEO of Lucid is Dave Grow. I don't. Do you know him? No, I don't. Did you meet him? He was mm-hmm. one of Ben's part and Carl's partners earlier in the days. Um, 
So you probably did meet him, but just don't remember it. Uh, but I he, think um, Ben and Carl are the only two Lucid employees I ever met, I think. Because oh, really? they, they came out to San Francisco to like try and recruit me one time. And, uh, <laughs> I, sh- I should have taken that job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was funny. Um, one of, That was one of the things that came up uh, at, d- at dinner one night was like, oh, remember that, Rick? Like, because they, <laughs> they, I mean, what, what, I, one of the questions I always ask people is like, they're, they're really good at recruiting is, what's your secret? And the thing that those guys always say is like when we have a really solid person, we attack their networks. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was the early strategy, like Ben's network first. And then, you know, when you get a good person attacking networks, so that's one thing I took out yeah. of the trip is, uh, attacking people's networks for recruiting purposes when you really have a good team member. Yeah. Makes sense. By the way, I should correct what I just said. I made it sound like they flew to San Francisco just for me. They were in San Francisco for a conference. The the two founders of a billion dollar company did not fly to San Francisco just for me. <laughs> you don't know that. I do. There was a conference there. Okay. <laughs> I think it was like Google I.O. or something. Anyway. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So attack someone's network. Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I don't have any job openings right now to attack for, but like at Leg Up Health, but like it, it's something that I'm going to keep in mind. Um, and absolutely applying at windfall. Yeah. Now, counterpoint to that, or not, it's not a counterpoint, but like a way to, I think, get that wrong is like the first six hires at Lesson Ring Serum were all kind of friends of mine. Um, so I was attacking my own network, which there are pros to that for sure, but it also resulted in a really like one dimensional group of people. Like the company is much stronger now because we've started hiring strangers who bring new perspectives and stuff like that. What <laughs> you're making faces? That's what you say. I mean, it's like the diversity argument. Well, even setting aside, yes, I, I, there's no question it helps with diversity to look outside your network for most people. But like, even setting aside diversity, like, I think we had a lot of blind spots because I was hiring a lot of people like me. Um, yeah. So, like, I who did I know? I knew a bunch of computer science majors who were like nerds in high school, and you, you know, just it it works, but. I look at I would, it on, I yeah. look at it on a spectrum. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I I look I look at it on a spectrum where it's like reduced risk versus like there is no like you you can move so quickly and so confidently when you attack someone's network because they have worked together before. Oh, absolutely. It's like it's like uh, it de risks the hiring process with maybe like some downsides of less diverse diversity of thought, uh, etc. Um, whereas like you going diverse like has a lot of upside, but also comes with risk. I think what I'm saying, I guess, is not that you shouldn't attack someone's network. It's that you shouldn't just attack your own network and stop there. Like uh, someone who's better at this than I was then would already have 20 people they really trust. And they could be like, I really need a good customer service person. Let me go to my friend who knows empathetic, high communication people, as opposed to me, where I was just like, I know a bunch of engineers. So so if you've done that work, then I think it makes sense. So if your network, if you if you have if, uh, if you have a diverse network, then attack your then you've got that network to pull from. But if you don't, yeah. then yeah, yeah, makes anyway. sense. Cool. Any other learnings or takeaways from your quasi vacation? Yeah, I mean that was one. Uh, I mean the big thing is just man, that company is just so success, so impressive. Yeah. Um, oh, the people are the it's the people though. Like the people are so nice and so smart and so driven. So they, yeah, they, it's it's very interesting. Did you participate, like you're the spouse in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume you didn't participate in all the stuff. Were you just kind of like going to dinners uh, and stuff like that? hundred percent of the stuff. It was all oh, really? plus ones. Yeah. And, and people brought like, everyone could bring a plus one, but it, like some people brought a friend or a, 
brother or a, in some, in most cases it was a spouse, a spouse, but. So um, what was the point of this event? uh, It's called presence club. And that is to celebrate uh, the people. I think, I don't know exactly what the definition is, but like the people who perform, like the sellers who performed well. And so it's the top uh, sellers plus the, you know, leadership uh, that supported them. Plus like some support, the top performers okay. of teams that support sales. So it's a reward, not a, it's not like a offsite retreat type of thing. No, this is, this is a reward. It was meant to be fun. And there were some rah-rah stuff like, but it was mm-hmm. very brief. Cool. You feel yeah. you're looking a little tired before that. You feel restored at all? Yes and no. Um, yes, I would say yes, but it was definitely like an all-inclusive uh, party resort. <laughs> so like, and then we, man, we were the I first, but well, I assume Lucid, being a Utah company, has a lot of Mormons there. Was was there a lot of drinking and stuff oh, going yeah. on? Oh really? yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, certain people don't drink, but other people do. Yeah, um, <laughs> but not like crazy. No one's getting out of control. Um, but you know, you, you do that for a few like seven days. It's like tired, <laughs> and then you you know our flight got delayed on the way back, and that was tough. But yeah, um, I was gonna. I can't remember what I was gonna say, but um, anyway, uh, we can move on. No other cool. big learnings other than like they have done a really good job of hiring great people. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Super, super potent and, pre- and impressive. Um, all right. I think I'm probably going to dominate this episode. I've got a lot of random topics. So I, I bet some of these we'll dive into and some we'll just move on from. Uh, I'll just go in order. My first one up here is I've been coding for the first time in a while. I think I mentioned one or two episodes ago that like when summer ends, our interns and coding fellows leave and my life gets a lot calmer. Um and like, I actually am fully caught up on my work right now. My email inbox is empty. Uh, I just forgot what this feels like. And so one day, each of the last two weeks, I just blocked off for no meetings, worked, napped, woke up, worked until midnight uh, coding. And I'm like feeling like a developer again. It feels great. It's awesome. I don't really have so, a... So you like yeah. it better? I mean, this is definitely... <laughs> what I like is the feeling of flow of like being in flow state and you just never it it doesn't matter who you are you never get that with management type work because by definition you're switching from thing to thing and and there's no such thing as flow state when you're just answering emails and sitting in meetings all day i think i would be equally happy designing i think i'd be equally happy like working on some deep strategy thing but this is the first time i've just like sat down and focused on a big problem for a full day Cool. What problem are you working on? Uh, new. I mentioned last episode we're we're planning on updating our onboarding flow. Um, so th- the way our code base works, and I think most companies' code base works this way, there's like a React app, which is it's like React for people who don't know. It's like a single page app framework. It's complicated, but it like it's hard to code in, but it lets you build really great experiences for apps. And then we have all these other pages that are just random websites, like the sign-up page, the reset your password page, the login page, things like that. This is a longer answer than you wanted, but I still know how to do the non-React stuff better than anyone else at the company, I think, or at least as well. They all prefer working in React. So I'm kind of going through and I'm like, I'll take all the non-React projects and I'll just get them done. So right now I'm doing the the sign-up page. That's cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm like learning stuff. There's a lot of new... Why aren't you converting like, it to React? Um, some people would argue you should. I. Uh, how long of an answer do you want here? <laughs> I want to know, like, like, is it because the, it's it's like 
not a good time investment decision or is it like a bad decision? There, totally? I, I think there's two sides to this one. Yeah. Um, React apps generally take longer to load. Once it's loaded, each subsequent page load is faster. Um, so if you if it's something that someone's going to leave open and interact with a lot, uh, building it in React is probably a better user experience. But if it's like, you're going to load this page, fill out a form and hit submit, you can do that in React in a very performative way, but it's like harder to. The other thing is React, or just like using a real coding framework like React allows developers to organize complex code a lot better. Like as a code base scales, it, there's more upfront cost, I think, but it's worth it to like keep things organized. If you're just throwing together a little one-off page, I can build this much, much, much faster than like anyone could build it in React, I think. Got it. Got it. Okay. So speed it's just like is, messy. It's speed and then there's all like time versus value. Like, yeah, like I pitched this to the rest of the dev team. I was like, should I just go do this stuff? And they were all like, as long as you never make us touch it, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't want to deal with your shitty code, but you'll get it done faster than anyone else. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That makes sense. So, yeah. Cool. Feel feel like an entrepreneur again. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, um, another probably small update. So we've made the, deci the decision not to do interns next summer. Mm, that surprises um, me. Yeah. So why, like... I mean, I think I know the answer. Why, why does that surprise you? It's, uh, I mean, mostly because it's been a hallmark. I mean, it's it definitely a, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you at some point about is rituals. Mm -hmm. Like that's an, it's an important ritual that has been around for a very long time at listening CRM to, to kill it is a, is to kill a ritual. Yeah. Well, I should say we didn't do interns last summer either. Like not, we didn't do it in 2021. Be that was because of COVID. We didn't know if we'd be in person or not. So we talked through it. What are the reasons we do interns? Um, one reason is to get stuff done. You know, they they write. We only do dev interns normally. They write code. The code is useful. The amount of mentorship it takes uh, for that to happen, we think it's roughly like a net break even. Like wow. the code they're writing, our full timers could code write that code instead if they didn't have to take all the time mentoring. I actually think it's worse than break even. I agree. We we break our projects into hopefully two week sprints. Um. Three of the developers did not complete a sprint last summer, three of our full-timers. So it really slows down the full-time team quite a bit. Uh, number two, why might we hire someone, uh, an intern? It's recruiting for long-term full-time hires. I think that's the best reason. Like, It's a really great way to hire entry-level talent is to first hire them as an intern because for a lot of reasons, but primarily it lets you de-risk, right? You can hire... Four interns, if one of them sucks, it's really not a big deal. You give an offer to the best one, you're pretty much guaranteed a really great employee, assuming they accept the offer. We don't expect to be hiring anyone next year. And it's it, the hard thing about this is there's like this really long lead time. Like right now, we have to start hiring interns for 2023. They do the internship in 2023, and we give them an offer to start in the summer of 2024. It's really, if you're a company that's like doubling every year, you're like, sure, whatever. I'm sure we'll have openings then, but we're not that. And it's really hard to like have that kind of lead time for a job. Number three, kind of what you were saying earlier, the ritual, the culture, it really makes the summer feel special. Um, we're still doing the internship or I'm sorry, we're still doing the fellowship where we teach people to code. I asked all the full-timers, I was like, do you feel like the interns provide something that the fellows don't? And the answer was no. They're like, as long as we do one or the other, 
it'll still feel like summer and like we're doing this ritual and all that. So we decided that just doing the fellowship is enough. I think the fellowship is great. Uh, that is the core of what you're trying to accomplish with it. And the, everything else is added sort of around it. Um, yeah. So that's great. I, what a great decision. No, thank you. Yeah, it sounds like you're not, you haven't made the decision. You said probably not. So. Uh, sorry. I wrote this like two weeks ago. It's definite now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think good, de- uh, good job. Hard decision, but good, you. but like really thoughtful. And I seem to me, it feels like the right one, but who knows? Yeah. actually I should, there's one possible way of interns. We did give us intern offer to one of the fellows last summer, uh, before we'd made this decision. If she accepts, we will probably go try to find another intern because it's kind of lonely being the only intern. So we would probably, but I, I, I doubt she'll. We're going to buy her a friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get like a stuffed animal. In yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with rubber ducky, uh, rubber duck debugging? No. What is that? Something my, my wife who teaches like R, like statistics programming to like non-computer science students, like psych- psychology students. Apparently this is a trick for debugging is you buy a rubber ducky and you talk to it um, as if it's a person. And like, apparently this really helps people like jar their, like it gets you through roadblocks if you're talking to this rubber duck. Yeah. You just need to tell her that my, my version of that is just talking to myself out loud. I don't have uh-huh. a ducky. I just talk to myself, <laughs> but talking to yourself is effective. Yeah, no, she, she literally like buys a bunch of rubber duckies and takes them <laughs> in the first day and gives one to everybody. Hilarious. It's really teaching people to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like it's yeah. Well, anyway, we don't need to go down that, but yeah, I think it's kind of a funny little, funny thing. Um, I've got more. You've got one thing on your list. When do, do you want to take it now or, or sure? Wait a, I'll take it now. Right, um, go for so, it. Uh, JD and I skipped last week, and then the week before. Well, I guess skipped it's been two your, weeks. Like, weekly one because yeah, I was in Cancun, and so I really just took off. So two, so two weeks since we talked, and both of us during that time developed significant anxiety about the performance of the business. Hmm. Um, and is really, really interesting. Um, so we went in both to our meeting, both like, uh, you know, cause like it's a very seasonal business. We don't know how we're doing really until yeah. the end do of this you, year. Do you think change or this was just kind of like no. an emotional thing? To- nothing changed. It was just like, we felt blocked and not moving on things by the end of the meeting. We're like, this is awesome. <laughs> okay. So what happened? We just planned like out what we were going to do. Um, and, and, and just started doing it and instead of thinking about it. Um, and so now we have, uh, we've taken our framework for local marketing, uh, blitzing. Um, and then we basically turned that into a plan. We think we can execute this year and there's sort of tier one stuff that we have to do tier two stuff that we think we can do. And then tier three stuff that's pie in the sky that we probably can't do, but we'll try if we can. Um, and we're off the races. How I feel like. It sounded like you already had this plan last time we talked. Like, what? What's Not, different? We didn't about have this an plan? executable plan. We had a framework and with ideas of things we wanted to do, um, and it was paralyzing. Um, yeah. And so, uh, what we did was we broke it down into stuff like here are the things we need to go do. Like, let's go. So, like, what's an example of a, just a very like concrete billboard advertising is something we're probably not going to do. It's a tier three, like, yeah. but it's part of our local, like our long term local um, marketing blitz. Um, okay, so so. A month ago or whenever, you sat down and said, "Let's make a list of sixty things." But you didn't, you didn't remove stuff. You, you were just looking at the full list, and that's what was overwhelming about kind it. Kind of, it's. But you got to remember, like, there's no list here. Like, it's more like I have a one-hour conversation with JD once a week, and that's where these conversations happen. Yeah. And the, before I went on vacation, I, I had like sort of clarified like 
oh wow, it's I've got I've got clarity now around how to run this business like seasonally. Um, and you you're starting to see it too. We're we're talking about it, but it was all philosophical. Like it, it was written down like as a framework more so than like a an executable like check the box type plan. And so we basically this today we just converted that framework into an executable plan, and it's like go okay, let's go, and we cool. feel better. <laughs> Do you have? I mean, we kind of talked about this, I think, last episode that like it's weird for you because you've got this open enrollment period, which is presumably when all your sales will happen. Do you have any way of evaluating what's working before then? Because you don't really expect customers. Is there some other metric you can look at? Uh, the metric that we are focused on right now is what we're calling flow ready contacts or flow ready leads. But it's effectively, we have three buckets of prospects that we can go after. One is a consumer lead. The second is an employer lead. And the third is a partner lead, someone who will refer us business. Um, and so adding like how much, how much, how much flow ready means ready to market to and ready to prospect. So we have a first name, last name, organization, and an email address. Um, and then ideally phone number and LinkedIn as well. Uh, but, but effectively we're ready to like go after them and how many of those are we adding? Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, you know, and how many of those do we have ready to reach out to is, is sort of the, like, if we have a bunch of those ready to go, we believe we can convert some percentage of them, but it's highly manual in terms of creating those and bring them into the system. Gotcha. But so that's, that's what we will be working on for the next month or however long before open enrollment starts. Yep. The other one is like how many signups, organic signups to our, how many organic searches are happening and hitting the site related to Utah health insurance and how many of those people are creating accounts. Like okay. It's very low right now, so it's not meaningful, but like if that's happening more on out of season, it's indicative of it happening more in season. Gotcha. It's a good cool. question. So, uh, you've got a plan. He'll go do it. Great. We'll go do it. And we're going to see what happens. And just a lot of talking, you know, you, you kind of get like, we both want this to work. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it does feel like this is a make or break quarter for us. Like, yeah, it's got to work. Like he, he can't, he, it's got to grow a certain amount for him to be motivated to keep doing it. And it's got to grow a certain amount for me to be motivated to keep funding it. And, um, so it's, it definitely feel, we feel the pressure kicking in. Yeah. That's, I think it's healthy. I, I love how aligned you both are that it, you could imagine a situation where like you're paying him such a comfortable salary that he's like, I'll just keep doing this forever. Or it's, it sounds like both of you are sacrificing and both of you stand to gain a lot if it works. And so, you know, hopefully it does and maybe it won't, but either way, this is like what an exciting, th th this is what starting a company is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So monthly revenue is, uh, we had a, our, our record monthly revenue, um, in August. All right. Uh, 3.3 K in monthly recurring revenue, which was cool. Um, I mean, that's, that's like, uh, that's not nothing. I know. Like, that's the other <laughs> thing I keep telling, like, we've got something here. We just gotta just keep, we gotta get focused. We gotta execute and just keep going. Um, if you were 24, the age I was when I started listening CRM and you weren't married and didn't have a kid and weren't trying to buy a house, you'd be like, hell yeah, I'm good forever on this. I can live <laughs> off this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we, it's, it's real. Um, We've got work to do, um, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, anyway, it's, it's, uh, that's up from like our January revenue or I could even look at like last year's revenue. Um, let me just look at last year's revenue for fun right now. January was, uh, 
um, was uh, less than 2K. So you've added um, 1.3, 1.4K, something like that? Yeah, August last year was 1.6K, so we've more than doubled. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm, well, I'm especially excited by what you've done since January, because like since August last year, you had open enrollment, and it's hard, like, it's hard to do an apples-to-apples comparison. But the fact that you've grown over 1,000 MRR during a period of the year where you, A, you're not working on it very much personally, and B, you wouldn't expect people to buy health insurance during that time of the year. That's encouraging. I know. And it's like, <laughs> but, but, but there's this huge, like, is it going to accelerate question in Q4 right. that we just don't know? Yeah. All we can do is, is try to minimize regret by putting down a plan and executing it. And basically it's praying that it works. Do you have numbers that like, have you, have you t- thought if, if we do this at the end of open enrollment, we're good. And if we do that, we'll have to reevaluate we're kind of like a hundred, hundred clients is kind of like our unspoken, like ugh, less than a hundred clients would be really yeah. like hard to stomach. Um, that's twice what we are right now ish. Um, yeah. a, little, a little less than twice. Uh, another number would be, um, I think 200 would be uh, huge. Like we'd be ecstatic. Um, there is a version of like 80 or 90 where it's like, Hey, but we know how to do this now. Mm-hmm. So there's, there. But like sub 100 yeah. would be, yeah. 80 or 90 feels to me like figure out how to make it a lifestyle business for now. Like you can't work full time all year round and have that growth. But if you could be like, well, we're just going to kind of hibernate until next open enrollment and get that type of growth, that could be a great business. That's, a, you know, that's, that is an interesting thing. I think both of us are looking at this as how do we get to full time? And there isn't both to full time. And there isn't this version of like, well, maybe it's part time for both of us. Um, Mm-hmm. that's interesting. That is something I'll talk to JD about, but it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It's a later conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's probably not smart to think about these things. I'm just trying to make good radio here. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you though, like what, one thing we did today was like, let's talk through worst case scenarios again. It just takes all the pressure off to do a post-mortem, like a pre post, a pre-mortem. Um, like let's talk about the worst case scenario. It's like, yeah, like, we talked about it and it was like, okay, we're good. We're both. It's okay kind with of that. related to the cats on the roof thing that we talk about all the time where it's like, if you have to have a hard conversation at some point, again, I'm, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse. Hopefully that isn't necessary at all. But like, if you do, it's good for both people to go into it. Like we both already know what the situation here is and this isn't going to surprise anybody. And there we go. So, yeah. So cool. And, and I think, I think we'll see some, I think this will work. So um, yeah. I, I have some, I, there's a lot of good stuff. JD's plant, planting a ton of seeds all year. And I just, awesome. I'll be stunned if it, if, if we, if we don't break a hundred and, and get closer to 200, I think it'll be, I think we'll probably end like where we are now without a, a another breakthrough will probably end uh, low one hundreds. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's my update. Um, want to give some updates on some things I've talked about before. Uh, I've, I've mentioned we're, trying to build out this like API integration ecosystem thing where we're redoing our API and then reaching out to people and trying to say basically to other companies to say, why don't you integrate with us and we'll do everything we can to send you customers. Um, So yeah, things are, I think, going pretty well there. Uh, There are two things I can mention publicly. One is that uh, Brian from ZipMessage is building an integration with us. Brilliant. Uh, Yeah. And I expect, so we have a few integrations already from random companies, but like, A, they're mostly not like tech companies or companies that like we have a relationship with, they just, it's well, whatever I'm they're, they're It's good that they built them, but 
this is a product I use. Zip message is a product I use every day and really like. And there's a different type of uh, oomph we can put behind marketing it when we really believe in the product. It's not that I don't believe in these other ones. I've just never used them. I have no idea. We're going to like really push Zip message hard to our customers because I really think they should be using it. Um, the other one is Peter Soom um, from Reform, which is a like form building tool. Uh, which we actually just became a customer of customer of this week. So again, like I don't have as much history with that one, but that's another one where it's like good enough that we decided to use it. So I really awesome. look forward to pushing that to people. What's your use case? We have a kind of funny one. So it's a form builder. Like historically, I've used like Google Forms and stuff like that if I need to send a survey out to people. And honestly, I will prefer Reform. It's like it looks nicer, but Google Forms is getting the job done fine. The real situation we ran into was. Okay, so we have Calendly. We use Calendly for our customers to schedule calls with us. Calendly built this thing called pre, pre-meeting routing or something routing where you can ask questions and it'll send you to the right uh, Calendly form. The problem is all of the UTM parameter tracking gets lost in that redirect. So we care very much where someone came from to book a call with us. Um, there are a lot of reasons that matters, but like one is... If our support is overloaded, we turn off the highest volume source of demo bookings. So we need to know where they're coming from. Um, so we were in order to do this, this routing, we weren't able to track where a person came from. So we're having them do the routing in reform. We're saying like asking all the questions there and then reform can send them to Calendly and include the UTM parameters. It's, you have to do a little workaround, but, uh, it's we're not even capturing the form values. Like we don't care. <laughs> it's just getting them to the right place, which is kind of a cool automation. Yeah. That is really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, yeah, it's cool. it, it was kind of a circuitous path there, but we got there. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you've got these two. Uh, I would never have thought of these integrations, by the way. Um, very interesting. Did you think of these and reach out to them, or did they hear your the podcast? I, I'm just curious. Like, yeah, yeah, these are really interesting no-brainers in hindsight, like, but I would never have, like, thought of this. Yeah, so Zip Message, I don't think is quite as natural. Like, I love the product. It's, I think it will be a good integration in the sense that, like, any communication ideally gets logged in a CRM, but it's not as natural as a form builder. The thing that happened there, though, is I follow Brian, his podcast, Bootstrapped Web, and I follow him on Twitter, and he did this big pivot, not, not pivot, but, like, a niching down for Zip Message where they're focusing on coaches and consultants instead of just like people like me, for example. And I saw that and I was like, those are two of our biggest industries. So I just reached out and was like, just so you know, we have like, you know, at least high hundreds, if not thousands of customers in that category. Like if you build an integration, I'll send it out to all of our people and they'll hear about you. So no brainer for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I don't want to, I, I tend to be too optimistic about these things, but I'm kind of like, I think we're going to send them hundred plus customers like significant we'll yeah maybe not yeah i'm certainly not making any promises here but like i think there are a lot of people who will try this out actually that, that one's yeah sorry good i love it sorry go ahead cool anyway and then with peter i just cold emailed him i was because i listened to his podcast and i was like we need a form builder that's one of the top no one's like requesting a zip message integration because they don't know that's not like a ex- existing category with form builders we get this request all the time and I was like, hey, I listened to a podcast from someone with one of these. Let's reach out. So, so interesting. 
And then there's one or two other people who I'm talking to that like don't have a current product, but they're thinking about building one. Um, so update on that. So I, I sent a survey out in our company, our email uh, newsletter to all our, not all, but 10,000 of our customers um, this week. It had a survey in it that was like, what integrations do you want? And at the bottom of it, it's like, can I reach out to you to put you in touch with someone thinking about building an integration so that basically if you tell them what you want, they're more, they're more likely to build what you want. So now I have a list of about 100 people of my customers willing to do customer interviews with potential API partners. Because my, my goal here is to just like provide overwhelming value to the other company. So then my hope is I can make a case study of being like, look how well this worked for them. More people build integrations with us. I can give you customers to interview. I can, yeah, you, you know, You're building a, a product for other product developers. Yeah. Um, and you need to run the same go-to-market, uh, you know, stuff like you need all the stuff case studies yeah. reviews uh word of mouth all the stuff that you have built for your core customer yeah exactly so i'm trying to think like what is a a fledgling SaaS company that maybe has a great product maybe a little more like drive and time to spend on this than i do but what don't they have and what they do, one thing they don't have is access to customers to interview so i kind of figure if i can be like i've got a list of them ready to talk to you that could be a pretty compelling thing I'm I'm curious. Uh, do you um do, do you have like a list of the requests? Like, could you share some of the top five, like the top five requested things from from your survey? Yeah, let me pull it up. Um, I'll say there was one standout, which is email marketing. Um, so, and I I kind of said in it like we're not talking about specific companies, and I and I also say in it don't request anything from a company bigger than us, like. Mm. Constant contact is not going to build an integration with us, right? That's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for smaller companies than us. Um, we already have a MailChimp integration that we built, but so many people hate MailChimp. Um, far and away, the most popular response was an email marketing integration. And I don't even think they care what it is. I mean, a lot of them want constant contact, but I think a lot of them are just like, Anything except MailChimp, basically. What do they want, though? Is it like a is it something to spam people with, or is it more like of a nurture a nurture thing? Um, so the the uh, certainly some people want to spam, which is to be honest, why we're not building this ourselves. Like mm -hmm. I, 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 a part of me is like they're going to do it, they're going to figure out a way to spam. So I, I'm willing to have an integration, but like I don't want to be the weapon that they use, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So one one legitimate use case is they just have a newsletter. They're just like, I want to put people in a group in my CRM called newsletter, and I want them to be in this. I want to be able to send emails to them, basically, and in a non-spammy way, hopefully. Another through one, less annoying the, CRM. They don't need to send it through less annoying CRM. I mean, they would love to. We're not going to build that. Um, they would love they to just deploy, send it. They want to deploy that list to... They want, they want to sync that list between the two. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what we have with MailChimp is just a basic sync like that. The next level up, which we don't have, but I think if someone were building this, they should consider doing, is just basic triggers. And in particular, we have these pipelines, like a lead pipeline, where you move people through these statuses to just say, when someone moves from this status to that status, send them this email. Mm. Uh, which I don't think oh. would be hard to build. It's just like, it needs a little tighter integration than just pushing contacts back and forth. And do you have that exposed? Like you have a contact uh, deal stage uh, yeah. API? We, so 
Kind of, yes. We're working on a new API that's not like, it's uh, working, but not, if you go to our website and look at our API docs, that's not what you'll see. You'll see the old one. Uh, but if you reach out to me, anyone listening, I can put you onto the new one. Cool. What's your, go keep going through the list. What are the other things? We <laughs> yeah. Want? So email marketing was most popular. Appointment scheduling was very high. I do hesitate. I was thinking I should reach out to Derek from Savvy Cal about this. Um, the thing is, I'm torn. Like I would love for someone to build this. The thing is, we are planning on building this, and I don't want to like ask someone to invest time making this integration, and then like a year later, we're competing with them directly. It feels kind of dishonest of me. So I'm planning on just letting that sit there. Yeah, but you could just disclaim that. Like we probably will build this. It could be yeah. tomorrow. It could be in six years. It could be in never. Um, yeah, you're right. We if, if you'd asked me three years ago, I would have been like, oh, it's six months away, and no. we still don't have it. So you're right. I might do that. Uh, so appointment scheduling. I should also mention, like, someone could have their own appointment scheduler or email marketer. They could also just build an integration with some other company. They could be like, I built a constant contact integration. Um, that would also work. Hmm. Lead generation tools was pretty high up there. So, like, people buy lead lists from whatever sources. I don't know where they come from. And they want those put in directly into the CRM. Web forms, which Reform will get us. Uh, document signing was next up, like a, you know, DocuSign type thing. There's a bunch of others, but uh, those were the top ranked ones. So yeah, I uh, even just these two that were, it's looking like pretty likely we're going to get them. That that could be a big deal for us. DocuSign seems like a no, like a document signing solution seems like a no brainer as well. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's a little hard to build integrations for. Um, Some of these will be, so we're almost done with our Zapier integration. A lot of these, like Webforms is one that Zapier will be pretty good at. Zapier is good for like pushing data one time. It's bad for like back and forth syncing. Um, I still think something like Reform will be really great because our customers don't want to figure out how to use Zapier. But document document signing, I feel like could be done with Zapier pretty easily. Yeah, I like that. But um, Interesting. So anyway, that's, that's what's going on there. I'm, I'm doing I, I, some like, What's the craziest? I'm like... I wonder what like is least requested, but like, did you have any aha moments when, are there any like, oh, that's interesting, like requests? I need to look through this because we got 118 responses and they just keep coming in. Um, can I see? I would love to look at this. Yeah. I, I feel like this is like, this is super interesting from a customer research standpoint and you're talking to customers that are our target customers. Um, so I'm interested yeah, in like what's keeping them up. You're probably going to tell me that I asked the wrong question, so I'm a little nervous here. But no, yeah, I, I, I can share this with you for sure. Cool, um, thank you. I don't think, but most of most of it's not like going to blow your mind. It's you know, people want constant contact integration, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, very cool update. Yeah. I, I found that really interesting. I don't know if cool. any listeners did, but like that was that's that's a really interesting uh, project you have going. Yeah, I'll I'll keep I'll keep giving updates there. Um, all right. Both of these next two are meaty. Uh, I'll just start with the one at the top. This kind of, I had a conversation, um, on Twitter with some people about this, but I've been thinking like, how much should you be willing to spend to acquire a customer? Uh, that's a very vague question. I have a lot more to say, but like, do you Rick feel like there's conventional wisdom on like how you figure out what you should be willing to spend? Yeah, I mean the conventional wisdom is less than you spend. <laughs> I mean more make. less than you make. Uh, yeah, but I, what I always hear is a third of your LTV, your lifetime value. Yeah, but like 
Sure. Someone just but made the, that but up. Then, but the, yeah, but then you're getting into like all sorts of like situational questions that are are nuanced um, and what your goals are. Like, I mean, if but it's good if to have abstractions, right? Yeah, sure. But like, what's the? Yes. Okay. So, and and why is it a third and not a hundred percent? There's at least a few reasons. One is. Uh, you get the revenue gradually over time. You spend it all up front. So, you know, time value money, time value money. Right. Uh, also there are other costs associated with serving a customer that probably are not built into your customer acquisition costs, you know, customer service, hosting costs, stuff like that. Well, well, uh, I, I, when I calculate LTV for, for my businesses, I usually factor in time value of money into the LTV calculation and the cost of service. Are you not doing that for your LTV calc? I don't think most people do. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. I don't. So you're doing uh, yeah. like a revenue LTV. So really yeah, I not, think you're most, doing like when a most lifetime people revenue. say LTV, it, I think they mean the total amount of revenue you'll get. It's like revenue per user divided by churn rate. Is yeah. Basically, okay. So, so that's like one input to lifetime value. That's I would say that's lifetime revenue, not lifetime value. Lifetime value is like taking into account should take into account like revenue minus cost of service, uh, and then adjusted for, uh, discounted for time, the time value of money. Okay. So I think, I mean, what's that face you just made? I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, okay. just saying. That would be great. I don't think a, most people, including myself are sophisticated enough to do that. <laughs> you are sophisticated enough to do this, but it makes I mean, sense. if I, it but would it take makes some sense. time. But then you can say like, this is the most we should spend. Like well, what you're saying though, is you just jumped to the end of the, you answer, jumped to the answer. What should you be willing to spend whatever this number is one dollar less than whatever this number yes. is yes. so like how do you calculate this number okay but here's here's i think it's complicated though mm-hmm. um it is complicated first it's nuanced of all, and complicated not every I, I customer should, is equal yeah not every well there's that there's churn is uh, okay let's dive into some of this okay a third of ltv is what you often hear as a shorthand for what you're saying like if you don't want to do time value money you don't want to worry about costs you just want benchmarks, industry average, they say a third lifetime value. Another thing you hear is based on payback period. Like, oh, you know, you should be able to pay back your investment in six months or eight months or whatever. That's a different question, though. Um, it's not about necessarily like, are you profitable? It's like, it's um, how if, how um, quickly can you reinvest? Uh, so so there is a, like, there's a question there of like, how fast can you grow? But like how much, how quickly do you turn $1 into two? Um, and then you can reinvest that extra dollar back into creating more dollars and, um, 20, like 20 months versus like three months is a significant uh, difference in terms of turning like the, the, the time you can reinvest the money that you made. Right. But shouldn't you, it, it's always amazing to me when people are like, Oh, you know, we have a three month or a six month payback period. And it's like, well, you should be leveraging that until like, you should be growing infinitely fast. What what they mean is like, I can spend a hundred dollars and get that. I can't spend $200 and get that because almost every marketing channel works worse as you scale it. Well, there's the, well, the, I think that we're talking about unit, a uh, unit economics here. So like being able to maintain and scale a hundred dollar unit CAC, like, or a, a three month payback CAC um, is huge because you could plow money into it and not have to raise as much money because you're paying. Which is your, basically a myth. Yeah. Like, yeah, that there's no, we all, if you read kind of lightweight blog posts and tweets and stuff, you walk away from it being like, oh, you just get this machine, you pour money in the top (laughs) three months later, you get that same amount of money back and then you pour it back in the top again. And it's this infinite money machine. I think Jason Cohen from WP engine had that according to one of his talks. 
I've never heard of anyone else say that actually exists. I think the really successful companies that don't raise a lot of money have this. But uh, really successful. Like major outcomes, like they're growing like crazy. Growth yeah, is not so, a, like an issue. That, that haven't raised money. So yeah. MailChimp, Atlassian, that's it? Like what? Yeah. Okay. And I don't know about Atlassian. They might have. MailChimp was very much like a freemium. Their product is very viral. Yes, in theory, there are like customer acquisition costs, but it's not like paid marketing, you know? I, I guess what I'm saying is like I, what I'm what I'm thinking about when I say that is for a bootstrap company, the time it takes you to pay back CAC is extremely important because yeah. you are limited in terms of what you can invest by your cash. I, I totally agree. It's just there aren't really that many role models out there. Like you keep here, you you see at, at low volumes, you see all these people talking about this. And then it's like, well, what companies out there like maybe convert kit. I'm just trying to think of bootstrapped companies I've heard of that are in order of magnitude bigger than less annoying CRM. There are a lot, but like not, not that many. The simple answer. I, I agree. Uh, the simple answer to the question of like how much CAC is like, is, you want your CAC payback to be as low as possible. Yeah, sure. Without sacrificing so, growth. Absolutely. So let's, let's be realistic though. And, and talk about less annoying oh, CRM. Man. It's not low, but it's. <laughs> what is it? Well, so yeah, if, uh, well, it varies. I, I don't want to tell you yet because I want okay. to get to an answer of what should we be willing to spend first. Our lifetime value, and I, by that I mean the way most people use it, not the way you use it. Our lifetime value is $936 per user. I'm going to talk per user, not per account here because like a 10 user account is very different from a one user account. Um, so every user we can acquire will pay us $936 before they churn, asterisk, that churn calculation is bullshit because everyone does this wrong. But I'm doing it the way the rest of the industry does it. Mm -hmm. A third of that is $312. So using this industry standard, maybe we should be willing to pay $312. Now that person's paying us $15 a month, which makes that payback period 20 months, which is way higher than what anyone says is acceptable. So these two different benchmarks are pretty wildly misaligned in our case. For any company with low churn, like us, that's going to happen. Any company with really high churn, the opposite would happen. Or you could bring in annual payments. Yeah. Well, that only <laughs> works if one... So this is the famous Jason Cohen advice, where he says like he would pay $50 and get one paying user and then push an annual... Not push, like that sounds bad, but like give them an offer to pay annually. They'd pay... $100. So he spent $50 and gets $100 like literally that day. Now the $100 is for the next year, but then he takes that and puts that back at the top of the money, the, 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 the machine. If your payback period is more than 12 months, that doesn't work. Because you get the money, it's still not enough to pay it back. And you have to wait 12 months before you get any more revenue. So 20 months is not, I mean, maybe so what, are you, what, are, what are you paying currently? What do you think we should be willing to pay? I like as much as you can afford. Like, I don't think you have a choice. You have to pay as much as you have to pay to grow. And then yeah. you need to figure like whatever it takes is my answer. And then um, <laughs> you need to figure out ways to drive it down. So what we've been doing is we've been saying let's let's limit ourselves to a 12-month payback period, which means $180 per user. Um, and then the reality is we kind of fudge the numbers a little bit. So like A, we're not counting um 
we're not counting labor. Like some channels, like software advice, Alex is like calling people and it takes a lot of work. Some channels are totally automated. We're not factoring that cost in. And then also sometimes it's like, well, it's $210. And we're like, that's kind of close to 180, like fine. Um, I'm kind of thinking we should raise it though, because the reality is we're not getting much success with th- with that those spends, but we're not like far off. Like we're getting some stuff. A different question, like so, this is making me think about like control, profitability, growth. Um, I'm 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 wondering like if you need to like go, you don't have control. Um, I'm wondering if you just need to like go like un- you need to grow like figure out how to get growing with control before you worry about profitability well maybe we do have control oh so you're saying spend spend enough and not worry about profitability okay i I hear you yeah spend enough to get control and then worry about profitability um right that that would be like sort of my bias here assuming you don't feel like you have control of like being able to pull lever we don't and that's we've we thought we've been doing that um in the sense like even 12 month payback period because all the if I can rant for a second, all this advice mm-hmm. on indie hackers and Twitter and LinkedIn, it's coming from marketing people and thought leaders who like paint this rosy picture. That's not, <laughs> some people get it, but it's not realistic. And so I was like, even a 12 month payback period is like unacceptable according to those people. And so I thought we were already way overpaying, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, we actually have quite a bit of cash flow. We could spend an extra $20,000 a month on marketing without it really hurting the business. Um, we don't have enough growth let's let's spend the money and try and even if it's like not quote unquote profitable like why not yeah okay i i think i agree with you i think we're probably heading that direction but let me throw a wrinkle in this just for other people doing this math one of the things that makes these numbers even worse than they sound is that churn is not like okay how do how do people calculate to to calculate lifetime value you take the monthly amount a user pays you and multiply it by the average number of months that someone stays with you to get the average number of months. I'll just add that that, that's not lifetime value. Like that's lifetime revenue. You can try to make up whatever terms you want. That's what everybody else in the world means by lifetime value. That's lifetime value. (laughs) Like it should take into account like what you're spending to service the customer. All right. Um, and Keep pushing that uh, boulder up the hill, Rick. The value uh, of like money, a dollar today versus a dollar tomorrow. Okay, fine. Lifetime revenue. Okay. Um, <laughs> but so the thing is, uh, it's that implies a hundred percent of your cohort signs up for an account and pays you. They all stay with you for that number of months, and then they all cancel at once. That's kind of the the like the math works out that way. Of course, that's not how it works. What actually happens. Your churn is almost always going to be the highest right after someone signs up. This is because people aren't necessarily activated. They like their free trial ends, they pay, they're like not really bought in, and then three months later they cancel. If almost any SaaS company on earth, if you look at it, the churn's way higher, and that means like all the other people who didn't cancel have to pay for a lot longer than the quote unquote average lifetime before your actual revenue catches up with that lifetime value. Um, so. I say the lifetime value is $936, but in fact, for many people, it's $30. And for some people, it's unlimited because they won't cancel until after I die. And it makes the math really hard. So that that's why I, I definitely am not like, let's go spend $800 to acquire a user because it's like, it wouldn't work out. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yep. But, but 
you probably you might want to try it and see if like if you spent eight hundred dollars and figured something out by spending eight hundred dollars to acquire users through experimental channels and then started optimizing it, like that would be worth worth spending money. It's like there's this whole yeah. thing of like learn like you're paying to learn versus paying to be efficient and um i there, there's a trade-off there too agree i should say though we, when we do a totally new channel we don't cap it at all We're, we what we say is go spend a thousand dollars and see what happens it's not like stop if you're not getting this roi i'm talking about like adwords captera like channels that we have going and it's just like we already know what we get at our current spend what if we spent more the like we there's no reason to believe we could then lower it from there because we're already trying that. Like we've been doing these channels for years. We know what we get at our current spend. So, I like it. Okay. Um, thanks for hearing me out there. All right. We got eight minutes. I assume you probably want to get out of here on the hour, right? I should I go do to another need to big go. Topic. I have a baby okay. to take care of. <laughs> I'm a, um, an adult, Tyler. I have a, a, ch a children responsibility. I'm just kidding. What's that? We're 37. We're not supposed to be adults yet. Oh, do you want to talk about this? <laughs> um, no, let's let me skip to a rant shout out because these are a little faster. Um, I saw an interesting take on the term product led growth recently that I thought I might mention here. Go, let's hear it. Um, okay, so first of all, uh, this has been in the bootstrapper podcast circles for a bit. Um, oh, wait. Oh, it's later than I thought. I should make this faster. Okay, I won't belabor this. Uh, <laughs> Cut to the chase, man. I will cut to the chase. We've often said product-led growth is like when you build stuff that helps you grow. Go back to previous episodes to hear a longer one. I listened to this podcast episode on Lenny's podcast. I'll link to it in the show notes. The guest was Emily Kramer, who was like Asana's first head of marketing and a bunch of other marketing stuff. She had an interesting definition of product-led growth, which is she said, normal growth, like no matter what, marketing generates sales. Um. Then sales hands the lead, or I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Marketing generates leads. Then marketing hands the leads off to the sales team and sales closes it. Product-led growth is marketing hands the leads off to product. Uh, like the leads go sign up instead of going and talking talking to a salesperson and that that's what product-led growth model is, which I never heard. And it's like a really nice framework for thinking about it, I think. Say it again. Yes. In all cases, whether you're product-led growth or whatever the alternative is, marketing is the thing generating leads. Yes. But with traditional, what we'll call sales-led growth, marketing hands the lead off to the sales team and the sales team closes it. What product-led growth means is that it's self-serve enough that marketing goes, the lead goes straight into the product and never talks to anybody. That's what product-led growth is. Oh, I don't think that's what product-led growth is. Is that what, you, is that what she's saying? She, that's what she's saying. Uh, I kind of like, it's a better, it's a broader definition, but I always think of product like growth is like, um, <clears throat> is, uh, being led by product, not marketing, but I guess it's the same. I think, I see, I think I see your distinction. Maybe I'm, yeah, I mean, you're doing this. both. Like there's yeah. no product like growth thing where you're not doing marketing, but I, I wish there was a different term. I think there are two different things and we need two different terms, but whatever the term is, I like this mental model of like, you have to do marketing to get leads. No matter what. No matter what, yes. Send those see, leads directly to the product. Yes, got it. I, I marketing doesn't go away with product-led growth. It becomes even more critical. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, is that anyway, your point? That's yeah. Just I think it's a framework people should have in mind, and that's all I have to say about that. I like it. I like <laughs> right, it a lot. I'll, I'll let you go, Eric. Are you gonna let me go? I'm gonna let you go. Go, I have go a see your family. You. Loser. I have a question for you. What? 
I was reading a book called Leading Matters by John. I think his last name's Hennessy. He's the former president of Stanford. Um, he's now on the board of Google. I think he's the chairman of Alphabet or one of the subsidiaries. I'm not sure exactly which one. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Anyway, he wrote a book. Um, it's a basically a stream of consciousness about what he thinks about leadership and the difference between like university initiatives versus like commercial initiatives, which is pretty interesting around innovation. But one of the things he said is, um, you know, you should ask yourself is, do you value uh, revolutionary future contributions more than incremental improvements today or vice versa? Do you say, say that again? Do you value revolutionary future contributions more or incremental uh, to, to today improvements today that are incremental? Okay. And um, sorry, I think I just spaced out. So what is that? The answer to that question tells you what? I just, I just, it's a very interesting question. Oh, like, what okay. do you value more? But he, he says you should answer that question because it totally changes how you should approach life, like profession. Um, yeah. If you really care about revolutionary future contributions, like you, the university area is the place for you. Whereas oh, if you care about okay. like truly like business is the, is the land of incremental improvements. Probably he means big business. Like new startups and stuff are doing revolutionary stuff, I think. He would say that startups sort of shepherd uh, revolutionary contributions from the university landscape to um, incremental improvements. That's, but, that's but giving like, universities like, a lot of credit, but okay. I'm definitely like <laughs> overstating his point of view here. Like I think what it's, a, it's definitely more of like a framework for thinking, but like st startups play a huge role in like taking these revolutionary ideas that are, um, that have no realness to them and sustainability and bringing them to commercial, but then it becomes an incremental battle from there. Yeah. What are you, what, which do you value? Gosh, I, uh, I think I care more. I, I fantasize about future contributions, but like I sleep better when I'm making incremental improvements. Yeah. I, I think it depends. What is revolutionary mean? But if you're talking like colonize Mars, that's definitely not me. If you're talking like, this is going to be a totally new take on task managers, which I don't think is what he means, right? That that's where I am. <laughs> but yeah, but like, I, but you're not building that, are you? Um, you're, you're I'm trying to put myself in a position to build it. So that's so that then I think you're saying you value incremental improvements more because you're incrementally improving your way to the like rev, like being in a position to revolutionary revolutionize. If anyway. I thought I could pay my employees indefinitely, I would. I would go build the bigger thing right now. Which is but why yeah. he says that's university is a place for you because there are no deadlines. You get paid, oh, you can't get fired, okay. like, uh, et cetera. Like, interesting. So anyway, um, interesting question. Like, I think like if you want to be successful at business, you've got to have a pretty strong, you've got to like, if you want to do the revolutionary future contribution, you've got to place a lot of bets. Like it's not yeah. going to be one, it's going to be like serial entrepreneurship. But if you value incremental improvements, you could really, you can kind of you know, iterate your way to something meaningful over a long period of time. Yep. Uh, anyway. All right. I like it. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No. I'm well, I got a lot of stuff, but we'll have to save it for next time. <laughs> I want to, uh, there's one thing on your list that I want you to pull up. Right now? Please. Which uh, one? No, I'm not going to, we shouldn't talk about it, but I want to talk about the four day work week. Oh, okay. Time. Wow. I that's that's an that old up. card from a long time ago, but okay. Yeah. That should be pulled up. <laughs> All, right. All right. One day. Um, well, if you'd like to review past topics and sh past topics and show notes, visit uh, startplus.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. See ya.